Well, good evening. We'll try that again. Thanks, Joe. Someone out there. Good evening. Thank you very much. Uh, lovely to see you all here. Lovely uh, to be here with you uh, this evening. Um, we're going to be doing, trying to try to do a few things uh, this evening. We're going to be looking a bit at a passage from Thessalonians. You can turn in your, if you've got the church Bibles, it's uh, page 1124, uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. And we've got a bit of a special guest. And we're going to be thinking more about what it means to fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ, in particular to fight against sin. Uh, cheerful topic for your Sunday evening, but that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. I'm going to start uh, by reading, and uh, then we will go from there. So 2 Thessalonians 2, it's a sort of slightly strange Bible, and it goes from 1 to 4, verse 1 to 4, and then we're going to jump to verse 13. So here we go, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us tonight. We pray you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, you would open our lives to what your Holy Spirit would like to do through us. And so we say, speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. Um, I am, uh, I am uh, old. Uh, some of you will have noticed that. Uh, significantly older than most of my congregation tonight. And um, I, I, when, when, I am so old that when, when, as a, when as a teenager I went on holiday, there was no option to download an album to your phone and listening, listen to it through your AirPods. We didn't even have iPods. We didn't even have CD players. Some of you don't even know what a CD player is, but there were these things called CD players. Uh, when I was on holiday as a teenager, we had cassettes. I can't go into the technical, it's, it's very complicated. But I used to buy a cassette and put it in what was called a Walkman. I couldn't afford a proper Walkman made by Sony. I had a cheap one bought from Argos made by Bush. And, um, and I, I would put my cassette in the Walkman. And the cassettes were expensive. I mean, you just download something now or I download something now. And you know, if you don't like it, download something else. But it was expensive. And if you spent all your money on one cassette, you couldn't, you know, buy another one. You know, it was, it was pricey. And on one particular holiday, um, I, I'd, I'd grown to like a band called Marillion. 
Now, they were a bit of a heavy metal band, but I didn't know that because I'd only grown to like two songs. And both of those songs were kind of, kind of heavy rock, kind of love ballads. So they were a, de a good degree softer than the rest of their repertoire. Uh, but anyway, I went to, to WH Smith's, which is where you went to buy your cassettes, before I went on holiday, and I bought this cassette, but I couldn't afford the cassette with the love ballads on it, so I just ended up with this live album, which was very, very heavy and rocky. But the problem is now I'm on holiday, and I've only got one cassette, and so my only choice is to get into the work of Marillion and to start enjoying their music, even though it wasn't my kind of thing. And it all came to a kind of crash conclusion when one day I found myself jumping on my bed in the middle of a kind of air guitar solo screaming the lyrics I am the Antichrist come follow me I am the Antichrist come follow me at this very moment my mother walked into the room now my mother is a head teacher whatever your vision is of a head teacher that's my mother she she doesn't need to be particularly aggressive or shouty she can basically kill you by looking at you and so she walks into the room listening to me proclaiming to be the antichrist and asking her to follow me and she looks me in the eyes and says this russell there's plenty of evidence for the antichrist in this world without you thank you very much and then walked out and i never listened to that song ever again there's this strange passage that starts in Thessalonians concerning the coming of our Lord. And then Paul saying to the church at Thessalonica, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unsettled. I don't want you to be alarmed. I don't want you to be disturbed by teaching that you may have thought was coming from me and my friends. I don't want you to be fearing this thing that, 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 that's going on right now. And what actually was happening for the church at Thessalonica was they were living in, in a really tough time. They were being persecuted. And, uh, they were, and they had been persecuted ever really since the, the church started with Paul. And that was before the first letter to the Thessalonians. And so they'd had a tough time for a long time. And then this word had got to them that actually um, somehow the day of the Lord had come and Jesus had returned and they'd kind of missed it. In my first job, which was at the Salvation Army, above the cash till in the coffee shop was a sign that said, look busy, Jesus is coming. And, and basically, these poor Thessalonians were thinking, we've been so busy fighting sin and, and, and dealing with suffering and persecution that we've actually missed the coming of our Lord. And so the first thing Paul wants to say is this, I, I want to encourage you because you haven't missed it. Don't be unsettled or alarmed. But then the next thing he says is, I want to encourage you to say, don't worry, things are basically going to get worse, not better. Because actually, actually, sin is going to take greater hold of your community than even it has at the moment. He talks about uh, the man of lawlessness, the man doomed to destruction, in some translations, the son of perdition. This antichrist character who is going to come and rule. And everyone will think that he is God, but actually he is from darkness. He is, he is from destruction. And what Paul's trying to do at the beginning of, of this chapter is help the Thessalonians to see that such is the level of sin in the world... And the sin that is being done unto them, and actually, as we come on to in the next chapter, which we're not doing tonight, the sin that they are involved in themselves, there is so much sin swirling around that they are finding it impossible to see the wood for the trees. They just cannot see what's going on. They cannot make out reality. They cannot see the world as it's meant to be. 
And that's one of the problems with sin. You know, sin essentially is us having to live with a level of darkness. And when the world is dark, it's difficult to make things out. And whether it's the sin that's just generally in the world, or whether it's sin that's done to us, or whether it's actually sin that we're involved with ourselves, all of that sort of kind of impairs our sight. It makes it hard for us to make out the good from the bad. And so suddenly, something that we think will be really good for us, we take it on and find that it's really bad. Something that we thought would be really helpful becomes really harmful. Something we thought might be life-giving turns out to be quite destructive and even brings some element of death into our lives. And that's why fighting sin is difficult because if we could see the obviousness of just how bad sin was, we wouldn't do it, but we do because in some ways we're blinded to the reality that's in front of us. And so how are we going to fight sin? How are we going to be valiant? How are we going to be disciples valiantly fighting against sin when it's sin itself that makes it difficult even for us to kind of negotiate reality, let alone follow Jesus as his valiant soldiers? Well, I'm going to bring a guest in at this point uh, because I think this person can help us to know what it is to live in a world where we just don't see things correctly. Um, I, um, I, I have a hero, her name is Lyndall Bywater. Um, she is a, a writer and a teacher and a broadcaster, and she's also my sister. And uh, Lyndall, um, who you will meet in a minute on screen, um, has been blind since, since she was born. She's 22 months younger than me. And, um, and I thought, look, if we are thinking about the effect of sin on us, that it basically makes us partially sighted, it makes it difficult for us to see the reality of God's world as it's meant to be, why don't we ask someone who actually lives with that difficulty every day of making her way around and understanding what's in front of her, some tricks about how to make our way when actually we can't see. So we're going to play a video and you're going to get to meet Lyndall Bywater, my sister. Go. Sure 
that uh, if I can't see something, I don't act as though I know where it is, or I don't walk along as though I know there isn't something there if there is something. Which of course leads to what all of us blind folk do uh, when it comes to being able to navigate the world without sight, which is to have something to help. So uh, some people have a stick, I have a dog, a very cute black Labrador called Venus, uh, and uh, that that is a, it really for me, it's the admission that I can't do this on my own. If I were to wander on, when we were young, I was at school, uh, I never could do this because I'm very obviously blind, you don't have to look at me so I'm blind, but my friends, some of my friends used to try and pretend they weren't blind because uh, it was awkward and embarrassing to be a teenager and want to look good and so on and so forth. So they would wander along with no aids at all, uh, no dog, no stick, and dreadful things ensued, frankly. So, so you need to know that you need something to help you. Um, the other thing that I would say massively about this is, is to do with connection. It's really interesting to me that I have always walked with people, always. Uh, I, when I was young, uh, you and uh, mum and dad used to hold my hand. As I got older, I would take to, you know, holding your arm. Uh, I've always gone around the place uh, connected, even if I know where I'm going. If I'm walking with you, I'll still hold on to your arm because uh, it's really difficult to walk on your own uh, with other people if you can't see. So that physical connection is really important. And the last thing I'm going to pull out, which might be useful in the, in the future, you know, the rest of this conversation, is voice. You know, uh, listening, hearing, hearing people's voices, hearing echoes of buildings, hearing uh, just the music that comes out of a shop might be enough to tell me what the shop is and using my other senses. I, I stand firmly against the notion that my senses are any better than yours. I, my, I don't have better, more enhanced senses, but I do use them better than most people. So these are some of my ways of getting around the world, I guess. Linda, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, those are really helpful answers to uh, my questions. I'm gonna come back with some more questions in a few minutes, if that's all right with you. That's great. So you get more of it in a minute. So how do we fight valiantly for Christ when it's sin itself, particularly against sin, when sin itself stops us from seeing the reality we're facing and the world we're living in? Well, some of Lindell's tips are kind of picked up in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. In chapter 2, he wants to talk about blind spots. The church in Thessalonica has developed blind spots, partly because of the persecution it's under, partly because it's, it's fallen into some sins which it can't seem to get out of, which is not helping it uh, to exist in the way God wants them to exist as a community. Uh, Paul picks out on this need for connection. Lindell talked about this need for others, this dependence. And Paul is saying, you're, you're not on your own. This is a unique letter, really, because it's not just from Paul. It's from Paul and Silas and Timothy. And in the passage uh, that, that we've read, we already hear that Paul's trying to say, you've also got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit with you. You are connected to people who can help you to navigate the difficult of your difficulties of your present reality. And lastly, there's that idea of this trusted voice. Paul, right through the book, is continually reminding the church, you've been called. God has spoken. He's asked you to come and follow him. You can trust him. You can trust the one who's calling you on, who saved you in the past and has a hope for your future. And the same three tips apply to the church at St. D's or all of us today. If we want to navigate our own reality, we should be aware of our own blind spots. What are some of those things that we all too easily miss? 
Is it that actually when we get into certain times of periods of stress, we kind of, we lose a kind of sense of, of kind of who we are or how we should be living for Jesus? Are there behaviors or temptations that kind of creep up on us and suddenly we're, we're living in a kind of sinful activity when actually we know it's bad for us, but somehow we've got there and we're not even sure how we've got there without looking. Who helps us navigate reality? Who are the people that help us across the road to help us to make our way? Is it that life group? Is it that prayer partner as we were praying just a few minutes ago? Is it uh, events like the church weekend? Where is it that we get connections and build relationships that help us to understand the difficulties of our own reality? And lastly, are we listening out for trusted voices? Are we, are we tuning in to what God's asking us to do? And what is God wanting us to do next? And where is he taking us? Because Paul's saying to Thessalonians, it's not about just holding on. God wants to take you on. He wants to actually give you hope. He wants you to fulfill the hope he has for you. While we were worshiping, we had a real sense for some people in, in the room tonight that we're so stuck in the difficult situation we're in at the moment, we're losing a sense of actually God doesn't want us in that situation. God wants us to fulfill the hope that he's set in us. And he wants us to think more about the hope that he's put within us so that we can shape our lives and reality around that hope rather than our present difficulty. Sorry, that's a bit of an aside. In verse 13, Paul says, we thank God for you brothers and sisters. Um, there have been times when I haven't thanked God for my sister, I have to say. I am a very competitive person and I have never won any competition against Lyndall. As you can see, she is fairly impressive. And what's more, you know, in any fight as a kid, I mean, whose side is a parent, or anyone else for that matter, really going to take? Me or the little blind girl? And any, any, anything I did at school, you know, no matter how impressive, well, she not only always did better and got better marks than me, but she got better marks than me, and she finished school a year early, for heaven's sake. Give me a chance, woman. And I didn't, I mean, basically, I took some kind of refuge in the fact that at least you could play jokes on your sister. And, you know, you have to play jokes on your sister. And if I didn't play jokes on my blind sister, that would be discrimination, wouldn't it? Because this, a big brother's job is to play jokes. You know, take some chips from her plate, swap her water for lemonade because she hates fizzy drinks and then see the reaction. Um, I wasn't going to share this because this, I mean, this, you might actually kick me out of the church for this, but my favourite joke was um, Lyndall talked about the fact that obviously when you led Linda around, you have to hold her hand. Um, so one of the great things was when, when you cross a road with, with your blind sister, and it's difficult, right? Because I'm like, let's say I'm 15 and I'm now walking hand in hand with, with a 13-year-old in the street, right? And, and basically you step off the curb and you say down and your, and your hand lowers and she walks across, right? And then when you get to the other curb, you lift the hand and say up and she knows to lift so she doesn't chip over the curb. So, I mean, that's, that's, all very, that's all very well and good. What's really fun is if you say down and go down and then when you get to about halfway, just lift and say up because then she does that <laughs> to get So I enjoyed playing jokes, but I didn't win any competitions. There was one day when we were a kid where she said we, we want to, she wanted to have a sword fight. And I thought, at last, I'm going to win. 
I can, I can do this. And so we got the kind of kid's helmet and the breastplate and, and the sword. If you were in the, the other week when we did the armor of God, you would have seen a kid dressed up in the all age. We basically had these outfits. And we kind of got to the other side of the lounge. And then we said, go. And I thought, I'm definitely going to win this. And she just charged at me like a whirling deer dervish, screaming, ah! And I ran away as fast as I could because there was no way I could defend myself against her. So it's sometimes tricky competing against my sister, but I am genuinely quite thankful for her because she has taught me, not just in the sword fight context, how you fight valiantly. So the next question I'm going to ask her is that. If, if we can start to see the world as it's meant to be, if we can get around those blind spots, build those connections, listen for those trusted voices, then maybe we've got a chance of not just seeing the world for what it is, but fighting for Jesus in that world. And so I asked her how we do that. Well, Lyndall, uh, welcome back. Um, I um, told a number of great jokes about you, but you don't need to hear them. We'll get to my I'm next. sure I've heard them 1,700 times. Oh, yeah, yeah, you were part of me. Yeah. Um, you were there. Uh, uh, my, my, my next question, and our, our last question for you, really, is about, we talked about how you, you navigated reality, but I'm not only impressed by your ability to kind of live life as, as someone who doesn't see the world as well as others. The thing that impresses me even more about you always is your ability to see Jesus. If, if really seeing the world us to see Jesus. How is it that we get a, a bigger and a better and a more clear and real vision of Jesus? It's interesting. I've never really thought about it until you asked me, actually, in some ways, how being blind in the outside world, for want of a better word, uh, might have informed or helped my uh, knowing Jesus, seeing Jesus in my internal world. And I, I have to say, it really does, actually. There, there are definite similarities. And I you know, I, I know as a blind person uh, in the outside world how much voice is important to me. I need to be able to hear people speaking. I need to be able to listen to voice. Voice matters far more to me than it probably does uh, to you, I would imagine, in a lot of ways. And, and it's interesting. When I, I remember when I was about 15, I was at school, I was at boarding school, and I, I was reading the Bible. And uh, I remember closing the Bible. I can see it as clearly now as I saw it there. You know, it was on my bed with it on my lap. Slammed the book shut. Shoved a great braille Bible book, shoved it down on the bed. And I said, God, I don't want to be someone who can only hear your voice through this Bible, great though it is. Uh, we, you know, we can be terribly blasé with the Lord at the age of 15. And I said, like, this is great, but I want to be able to hear you. And that prayer has been faithfully and profoundly answered in my life uh, in the subsequent you know, 35 years. I have always been able to hear the voice of God. I'm not going to say that I haven't had moments when God hasn't been saying anything, and I wish that he was, but I have always been able to hear the voice of Jesus. Somebody once said to me, you know, um, God speaks in your voice, and I remember thinking, not yours, Ross, uh, my, you like my voice. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, uh, Lindell, God speaks in your voice, and I, I remember thinking, that's terribly dangerous. It could be me. How am I going to know if it's me or it's God? But actually, I recognise that. I recognise that it's, there is something about the Spirit of God speaking within me uh, is a voice that I know and is familiar and, it, and it's a bit like mine it, the spirit doesn't necessarily say the same things as I do but there's there's that real deep intimacy that it means it's almost like my own voice that I'm hearing and the other thing 
is connection. It is the sense of presence. And I would say I deeply crave, need, and mostly have that sense of the presence of God with me all the time and uh, in every situation. I mean, there's that, that common prayer that we pray about. We want to see thee more clearly so that we yeah. love thee more dearly and follow thee more nearly. So, as a so we'll join in day by day. Oh, you don't need to. Um, as a, as a, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. As, 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 as disciples trying to do that, what, as disciples who want to see Jesus more clearly so that they can see the world in reality, um, what, what would you give as the tips to us to help us see Jesus more clearly? This might sound like really obvious advice, but for me, I have found that reading the Gospels is, is really important. Reading the whole Bible is important, but I found that reading the Gospels is deeply important for me. And that sense of, um, of, of getting to know the ways of Jesus, you know, getting to know the kinds of things Jesus said and did, that's been really crucial for me. I would say time, uh, it, uh, prayer, time in the presence of God, that sense of deep presence hasn't come for me uh, just just by doing life crazily busily all the time, which I do a bit too much. But uh, it's been it's come more when I have taken time out and I have squeezed time for prayer in my routine and you know kind of really made that time, squeezed other things aside to make that time. So time is crucial, um, and I would also say that community is crucial. Um, uh, a little story. I've just been to the Holy Land for the week, and, and we went to Jordan, and we went to Petra, and uh, which is a, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's a city carved into rocks. For me, as a blind person, it's basically just a bunch of impressive archaeology and a lot of rocks uh, and and a lot of walking. And I I have been before, and I wasn't looking forward to going again. But this time, I went in a group, and it was absolutely transformative for me to to have that experience in a group because what the group do is they all talk about their experience of it and they react to what they're seeing. And as I hear them, hear their reactions, feel the stuff that they're, they're expressing, suddenly the picture becomes so much more vivid for me. So this sense of, of knowing Jesus, we don't, we don't know Jesus best just on our own. We know Jesus best as community, reacting, responding, using our internal senses and sharing that with one another. Uh, that fills the picture out beautifully and I think makes our perception of Jesus fuller, more solid and probably, if we're honest, more reliable. Lyndall, that is brilliant. Um, thank you so much for being with us. As we say, we hope you come and visit us uh, in person at some point. Um, from my point of view, having cracked a few jokes, uh, a huge thank you because I am <laughs> ever challenged, firstly by your ability to navigate this weird world in which we all live, despite the challenges it throws at you. But I'm even more challenged day by day, week by week, year by year, by your profound vision of Jesus and your passion in following him and your ability to communicate him to others. So thanks for being a great sister and thanks for sharing with us at St. Dee's today. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. That's the, that's the second ovation she's got today from St. Dee's. I did tell her about the first one, and um, I'll tell her about the second as well. And you can, if you enjoyed it, you can always buy one of her books. Um, uh, <laughs> there are a couple. Um, when it comes to Paul encouraging the church in Thessalonica, he picks up those very points once again. In that second part of the, of the reading, 
uh, in verse 13 through to 14, he, he reminds them that, it's an amazing phrase, he talks about our gospel, not the gospel of Jesus, our gospel. He reminds them that the story of Jesus is their story, and it's Paul's story, and it's the church's story. And if we just remember that story, it will transform us. Because the truth is this, when we start to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, then everything begins to change. And we see reality as God sees it now, but also as reality as God wants it, as it's meant to be, as God wills and wants in the future. And Paul talks, he says, remember, you are the first fruits of the new kingdom, the first fruits of new creation. Remember what God has done in you and know that he hasn't finished yet. And he powers them up to this point where he says, stand firm, hold fast, hold tight to everything you know about Jesus. And he will bless you in ways you can't imagine. The real lesson of learning to fight valiantly against sin is certainly to be aware of our blind spots and build those connections and listen to trusted voices. But most of all, it's about learning to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. When we do that, despite the sin that we suffer and the sin that we commit, we began to see a new different reality and we begin to fight valiantly. The more we see Jesus at work in the world, the more we see the way the world is meant to be. The more we follow him as disciples, the more we discover who we are made to be. And the more we look to him as our ultimate reality, the one in whom, by whom, for whom we were made. Jesus is the ultimate reality of all human existence. And when we recognize that we have a place in him, the ultimate expression of humanity, the perfection of creation here and now, the promise of resurrection in days to come, the more we see our lives through his reality, the more we'll find, as Paul promises to the Thessalonians, that we won't just be transformed by his glory, but we'll experience his glory. We will know his glory personally. At the end of World War II, a bunch of soldiers were going through a French village. They liberated the village and the Nazis had gone and they were very, very drunk. They'd been celebrating all night. They came to the end of the night and they walked into the local Catholic church. And the language was blue and uh, the stories were horrible and they noticed that actually the little parish priest was in the church and so one of them dared one of his mates to go and sit in the confessional box and to see if the parish priest would come and hear his confession and the dare was if he does you've got to really embarrass you've got to humiliate this priest your language your stories the kind of debauchery that you confess you've got to tell him what you think about God and why the church is a whole waste of time you've got to absolutely give it to him both barrels and so sure enough he goes into the confessional booth and the priest follows him and this soldier makes his confession and it is horrible and at the end the little priest says to the soldier well I've heard all that you've said about all that you've done and all that you think about God and all that you think about the church and you clearly don't want to be in this church 
And so I think you should leave my church. But if everything you've said in this booth is true, I want you to do one thing before you go. I want you to walk to the altar and I want you to look up at the statue of Jesus above the altar and I want you to look him in the eye and say, Jesus, I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I don't give a damn. And so sure enough, the soldier walked out of the confessional and he walked down the aisle and he walked to the altar and he looked up at the statue of Jesus hanging there and he looked him in the eyes and he addressed them and he said, Jesus, I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I'm so, so sorry. When we look at the world through the eyes of Jesus, everything changes. Suddenly we make sense of our own sinful realities. And what's more, we open ourselves up to experience his glory. And so as Paul says, as we come to worship, so then, brothers and sisters, Stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And may our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us internal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And may you fight valiantly against sin. Amen.